Welcome, everyone, to this special interview edition of Monday Match Analysis. Today's episode is a two-part conversation with Hall of Fame tennis writer Steve Flink, as we do after all four majors. Part one, which is what you're watching right now, is focused on the final and the finalists individually, the champion Yannick Sinner, the runner-up, Daniil Medvedev. Part two is when we get into Djokovic, we get into Alcaraz, we get into Zverev, a little bit of Dimitrov, Runa, Cam Nori as well. Essentially, everything that's not the final will go in part two. A couple of announcements. One, mailbag post on the YouTube community tab is up. So go to the homepage of my channel, find the community tab, and leave a comment for the mailbag. It's going to be about an hour and a half, and it'll drop on Thursday. And then the other announcement, this one is a little bit more special. I am launching a newsletter. It's going to be called The Draw. It is a curation of all of the best tennis content that I find and I read, including you know things that are sent to me and uh, are, are found by uh, Ben, who I have helping me on this project. Uh, we are going to put it in a weekly newsletter, a roundup of the most interesting tennis content every week across the internet. It is called The Draw, and I encourage you to subscribe with the link in the description. It is thedrawtennis.beehive.com. That's thedrawtennis.beehive. That's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. So check that out. And without further ado, here is Steve Flink. We're joined once again by Hall of Fame journalist Steve Flink. His latest book is Pete Sampras, Greatness Revisited. This is our traditional post-major chat, the first one of 2024 at the Australian Open, going on many, many years of doing this, a highlight uh, for, for us and viewers alike. Steve, uh, thanks so much for coming on again. You know, it's great to be back on. I'm always amused by some of the people that contact you online asking for more but i think the fact that we stick to the four majors it, it, it's probably more fun for us in a variety of ways and hopefully that the viewers most of the viewers feel the same way that they can look forward to the post-major recaps that's right you got to keep them wanting a little bit <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just offline talking about our australian open viewing habits with the time difference and and you know it's funny how how we take slightly different approaches, but let's get into this final. For me, this was fascinating, the final between Medvedev and Sinner. Now, normally what we look for in a great match is, is two elite players, both playing their very best at the same time. And this wasn't exactly that. I, I thought it was really, really interesting for other reasons. How did you feel about the final? Yeah, I did too. I did too, because I have to say, I shared Sinner's view that Yes, you expected maybe Medvedev, after all of the rigor that he'd been through, was going to go out and be extra aggressive. But I never, ever thought I would see him play tennis like he did the first two sets and be able to still make so few mistakes. It looked risky, but in, it wasn't. The way he was feeling in those two sets, the way he was feeling the ball, his outlook, his execution was all there. It was fascinating. It was fascinating to see how Sinner... You could see he was stunned, but he's so poised and so professional. You know, he didn't get out of sorts or start feeling sorry for himself. He just tried to keep plugging in and stay with it. And No, I enjoyed the match Im immensely. It was a lot of fun to watch. 
Yeah, we'll talk about the the Medvedev stylistic change and, and what it means for the future. I'm excited to get your thoughts on that. Uh, on one hand, you never want to see physical fatigue affect a match like that. And you want both players to have their batteries fully charged coming in. On the other hand, part of winning majors is winning efficiently. And you couldn't have a bigger contrast between Sinner, who, what, he dropped serve like two times in, in total yeah. coming into the semis? Um, yeah. Well, no, coming into the final. Uh, versus right. Medvedev, who just continuously had to battle. Even in the first round against Terence Atman, uh, it wasn't it wasn't straightforward. No, they both were cramping. He admitted after the finals that he almost was ready to retire himself, but he could see that the other guy was worse off than he was. No, you're right. You're right. And and by the way, Medvedev kind of acknowledged your point afterwards. I mean, he realized, you know, it is up to you to get the job done as fast as you can. You do pay the price for getting in that many long matches. And it's just extraordinary to think that he had only one straight set match on his way to the final. You know, three five, he had those three five-setters twice coming from two sets down and then one and then another five-setter as well. So three five-setters all together, two, two escapes, uh, you know, from, I mean, who, who, who could write that kind of a script, you know, uh, uh, but, uh, and, and it made me think that he would come into the final more fatigued than he was. I was impressed. It really wasn't until the middle of the fifth, I thought, that we saw the real signs. Granted, there were maybe moments in the fourth, but I felt like he held up quite well in the fourth. And it wasn't until the middle and or even at the start of the fifth, he was right in there. But finally, you saw where at least where mentally he looked fatigued when he lost his serve at two, three in the fifth. Until then, I thought it was remarkable, given given all of those tests and, the, you know, coming off two five setters in a row, two five setters in a row coming into the final and then being almost being out of the tournament in the second round. That was when he went to virtually 4 a.m. in the morning to finish against Rusabori. So, yeah, you're right, though. In the end, you have to control your own destiny at these tournaments as much as possible and 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 try to be as efficient as possible. And he really didn't play his best in a lot of those matches. Uh, you know, I, and, and, he, and, he, and he knew it. He knew it. And he talked about how he didn't feel the court and the conditions suited him that well, but he was – proud of how he was competing but yeah. meantime meantime we had uh sinner who was a, uh, as efficient as any top player could possibly be the only set he dropped is he had a match point against Djokovic in the semis so very close to winning in straight sets before Novak took the tiebreak so and to lose your serve twice in six matches I mean uh, that it, it, it tells you how much his serves improved we can talk later about Djokovic being uh, no doubt it was a, a very big off day for him and he was not returning well at all but nonetheless Sinner that standard of his serving was there from the beginning to end of the tournament despite the fact that Medvedev did jump on him in the first two sets and break him four times uh, but that was the but then even then even then Gil he he never lost his serve again the last three sets so we saw this Sinner that had been operating throughout the the fortnight yeah and if you look historically and this just popped into my mind to be honest he was not always somebody who had efficiency on his side. If, if you think back two years ago at the U.S. Open, I remember I, that was a big problem for him. He went five against Ilya Vashka the, the round before he went five with Alcaraz. And he went four earlier on in the tournament 
against, uh, I believe it was Nakashima. Um, so like it was a very long kind of physical path and route to the Alcaraz match where he ended up losing the five setter. Uh, I've always wondered in the back of my mind, hmm, maybe if Sinner is a little bit more efficient and route to that match, does he get it done against Carlitos change tennis history? I don't know, but the point is he's gotten to a place where now he's dominant enough to get through these matches in the in the early rounds. At least he clearly was um, on this occasion. Were there any key moments, like big standout key moments in the final, Steve, for you? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the first one is, okay, we know that obviously Medvedev took control in that first set. You know, and he he broke twice and he and he was served six aces. He was pretty, he was virtually unstoppable in the first. And then, he continued that go right through the second up till 5-1. That, to me, is the first big moment, uh, critical moment, because I thought he could have saved himself a little energy and angst had he held when he served the first time for the set at 5-1. And that was one of the few bad games he played in that portion of the match. I felt like he kind of gave that game away. And then Sinner had a nice hold and pressured Daniel in the next game at 5-3. Medvedev serves a double at 40-30 and goes down break point and managed to coax a couple of errors out, out of center. He did a good job to bail himself out, but that was some tension that he didn't need, and it was some exertion he didn't need. So I would say that was important in the sense that it could have been 3-1 and one and gliding and ready to pounce early in the third, and maybe center sort of sensed a little vulnerability and wondered whether Medvedev might be starting to get a bit tired. Something was changing. So that's the first one. Second one, four all in the third. Medvedev made a push. He got back to Deuce. I think he was actually down 40-15. He pushed it back to Deuce and missed what for him was a relatively easy forehand gill. And I saw that that's where television is so great because they had a nice close-up of Medvedev and you could read his mind like, oh God, why did I have to miss that shot? I could have been at break point. And, you know, he knew you break point and then you, 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 if you secure that one, you're serving for the match. I thought that was important. And then sure enough, in the next game, he's up 40-30 when he served at 4-5, unable to get the hold. That was critical because if he gets the hold for five all, chances are that the worst case scenario is in a tie break. But instead, the set is suddenly gone. And now he knows he's going to have to fight on through a fourth. And that that's tough to deal with. And, and then I thought, obviously, the next critical moment was in the fourth of three all when Sinner served that clutch ace down the tee. Yes. On break point down. I mean, if Daniel breaks him there again, he's, served, he's going to be serving at four, three, two more holds, and he's, he's got the title. And that was that was a very impressive choice from Sinner because he'd been going out wide so much. And this one he sent down the tee at 126 miles an hour. And I thought that was critical. And then sure enough, we get the same same scenario as the third set because once more, Daniel at 4-5 is up 40-30 with a chance. So game point for five all. And Sinner took it away from him with a great play. A big forehand sets up a swing volley. I mean, it was a great point from him. Not much Medvedev could do. But again, Sinner pounces and breaks, and we're, we're into the fifth. And then the last moment, I would say, was that first game of the fifth. Because Medvedev had him down 15-30, and Sinner gets back to 30-all, and then we have the 39-stroke rally. And, uh, and, and uh, Sinner prevailed. And then a second serve ace, as if to sort of underline his supremacy. Second serve ace down the tee. He's got, he's got himself up one love in the fifth, and you felt like it was a matter, at least I did, 
matter of time till he breaks. He does that at three, two and soon the match is over. That's how I saw it. Did you see those same type? Did you, you share anything else you want to add to what I said? Or did yeah. you see the points as essentially the, the, the crucial ones? You, you hit a lot of the ones that I had highlighted. The one that I went, I did a deep dive on my show um, on Sunday slash Monday was the three-all game in the fourth with the center right. aces because he won the chess match there where Medvedev was trying to get a read on where he was going to go. And three times in four points, Daniil went the wrong way and center went yeah. the right way. And then also yeah. the point sandwiched in between, the deuce point, Medvedev massaged a second serve return, which I thought was such a, a sharp contrast to the way he was returning in the opening yeah. two sets where he was well, attacking. Yeah, exactly. Might have been a bit tight. But still, yeah. I mean, Sinner to pull off that ace on the break point, and Medvedev has his chance, and Sinner fools him again. And, and yep. that, that that had to be heartbreaking for Medvedev because, you know, he still felt like he you, – you feel like he had enough energy from there if he gets the break to probably close the match out. Yeah. And and now, you know, the 5-1 the in the second, that was one that I saw in the comments a lot of people were talking about. I think that – as you said, is a, a really interesting way to look at uh, how the match sort of turned. And psychologically, it probably helped Yannick quite a bit and also physically. And, and Gil, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to add, here's here's Medvedev, who served three love games in a row up until then. He's broken center twice. He served three love games. That's why he's at 5-1. He's been cruising on his serve. And I didn't expect him and I honestly don't think he was tense there. It was almost like he was too loose. Uh, but yeah. I, he, would, he would have done himself a favor had he, I really believe that it mattered and that he, he, he just would have saved himself th that energy, the tension. And, and I, I believe he would have gone into the third set in a different state of mind and Sinner would have as well. Yeah. And then it's funny, the, the four all deuce miss that you highlighted. Yeah. I did not have that singed into my brain but I do take notes every point and I'm looking back and I wrote oof tough miss here um, yeah as I charted the the Medvedev forehand on forced error long so uh yeah that is that is a crucial point and clearly when I was watching live it it struck me as ooh, that's a big missed chance let's uh let's talk about Sinner more broadly for a moment um, in terms of the improvements he's made to get to this point, and it has been a absolutely unbelievable six months. My favorite stat to kind of highlight this is he's won 10 out of his last 11 matches against top five players. And it's just, just highlights how well he's playing against the very best. Are there any improvements? Maybe it's the serve, which we talked about earlier. Are there any improvements that stick out to you above all else with Yannick that he's made? Yeah, I think primarily to serve, and and somehow I gotta. I, I don't know how you look at this kill. I look at his second serve, and it's impressive. You feel like it's a second serve that's going to keep him out of trouble, and it's a it, you know he, it's got a lot of depth and good bite on it. But it must be even better than it looks because he wins a, a very impressive number of second serve points against top players. So I and the first serve is definitely improved. He can put it anywhere he wants now. So overall, the serving, I think, in the in the stretch that you're talking about when he's had this phenomenal record against top five opposition, uh, that's been one of the keys. The other is I just feel like, I mean, I used to watch him playing. remember seeing him losing to Zara at the Open. And 
other big matches, Rafa at the French. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm saying to myself, I didn't like, I thought the forehand could really go at certain times. He could start spraying forehands. That's, that seems gone. I just mm -hmm. feel like his game is now solidified. So that there are no, you really have to keep probing. There are no, granted, uh, Medvedev extracted errors from him in the first half, but I think it was just the shock of the pace. Uh, he just was caught off guard. But the structure yeah. of his game, the, the solidity, it's all there. And, and that's what impresses me. So I guess I have to say serve first, forehand consistency second. You can't go wrong. Uh, the second serve, I agree. I love how he hits it. He hits the body second serve more than anything else. It's not the kick to the backhand. And I think yeah. increasingly that's the better second serve to have is the harder, a little bit slicing second serve into the body where I, I think 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, a second serve, that's a kick to the backhand. It, that, that, that's how you do it. But now I think it's starting to change a little bit. Um, well, you have, to, you have to be awfully good at it, too, because if yeah. you don't look, and that's where he, he, his accuracy is there, because if you don't locate it well and don't get it really perfectly into the body, you're, it's going to boomerang. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. He does that particularly well, and, and it, it helped him the whole tournament. It's, it's one of the reasons why he saves so many break points, too, because you're not going to be able to get a first serve in every time, and he wasn't, but he didn't have to panic. And he felt like guys, yeah, they when they were getting jammed, were, were having serious problems. I totally agree about the forehand as well. And that was the part where when he was having all this success indoors, I did take a little chunk of skepticism. And I thought, okay, he's really, really playing consistently from the back of the court. Is that going to happen outside? Because sometimes we see a difference there. And to his credit, it has continued. The consistency has continued uh, outdoors. The one I would add are the legs. And I think that goes two ways. One, he would pick up these small injuries constantly. And I think he would fade towards the end of a tournament. So often he just looked battered by the time he got to the quarters or the semis physically. And that was really more of a problem uh, two years ago. I think he improved that last year. Now it's gotten to a point and this, to me, the reason I bring this up is also because it's the most surprising improvement to me. Because I always thought that he would figure out all aspects of ball striking because he, he has a real talent for that. But I never knew or I never thought that he would become such a good mover into the corners of the court. And now I think he slides on hard court. The only person who slides as well on him on hard court is Novak. And I think he's kind yeah. of... Uh, really, really mastered that. And he's so athletic. Well, you noticed, you noticed it, it. You probably heard him say after the, after the win over Djokovic that he feels that they, they play a lot alike. I thought that was interesting that he made that comment. And that's one of the facets, which you just alluded to. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And legs are stronger. And I agree. He, he faded the ends of tournaments. I don't think he faded badly in the Alcaraz, the one that you referred to at the open, I feel like he was a bit unlucky in Alcaraz. It was a, it was a, uh, a stunning effort on his part to pull that match out because he'd blown so many opportunities earlier to be up two sets. And here he was down match point in the fourth and then down a break in the fifth and he pulled it out. I felt like Sinner fought tooth and nail in that match. And I, I agree. I but, but you're right in a lot of the others. And yeah, now the whole package is there. I also think it was interesting that Djokovic pointed, uh, uh, lauded Darren Cahill. Uh, I don't think we can minimize the role of Cahill as well in, in sort of helping Sinner to 
see the game, to see the court, to plot his matches a little differently than he did in the past. And I think, you know, I, when it comes to strategy and the mental side of the game, I think that uh, Cahill has been invaluable. And, and I think Sinner knows it. Not that he doesn't have another great coach in his corner, but I feel Cahill has been, his role has been critical. Yeah, and the other coach you're referring to, Simone Vagnozzi, uh, who I, I do think probably doesn't get enough credit just because Darren Cahill is a name that we know really well. And when it comes to like English speaking media, he's always going to be the front facing yeah. person. And then in, in I think yeah. in Italian, it would maybe be the other way around. So yeah. he's clearly been so well coached and he's a sponge. And obviously he made the move splitting up with Ricardo Piatti that you have to point to after he lost uh, to, to Tsitsipas at the Australian Open a couple years ago. Yeah. And that just showed that he was hungry for more, even though he had something that by a lot of metrics was was working, he still thought to, to himself, I think this can be even better. And that's that's an example, I think, of, of what's made him so great is he is an improver, which is something that I talked about um, on, on the show on Sunday. The question I want to ask you now on Sinner is uh, long-term, is he now in the same category as Alcaraz? Because, Steve, about a year ago, let's say after Wimbledon, we were looking at a Yannick Sinner who had no big titles to his name and had a really poor record against top 10 opponents who weren't named Carlos Alcaraz and Andre Rublev. He was winless against so many of the top players, except for, for those two. And I think for that reason, it was still a waiting game. We, we saw him as a great prospect, but even though he, when he played Alcaraz, it was very even. Against the rest of the field, there was clearly a gap there. And that's why I ask now, is he in the same, comp is he in the same category as Alcaraz? I believe he is. I always thought he would be. And I think we all were a bit disappointed in his results. On the other hand, that, that Wimbledon getting to the semis in his mind was, was an important step because that was, that was a breakthrough of sorts, even though he lost to Novak. Then he said he learned some things from that match. He's learned, said that a few times since. Then we saw him win the Masters 1000 his first over the summer. Unlucky at the Open because he had cramps. He was hurting. He was not right when he played Zarev, and he did very well to even take it to five. But you knew he was physically at least somewhat crippled. Agreed. So and the great the great autumn, obviously, with you know, the, and playing Novak three times in twelve days and getting two wins. And that was I, I don't know, maybe we'll look back too. And the fact that you look at them splitting their matches in Turin, but he wins the lead, the the less consequential one in the round robin. Novak beats him in the finals emphatically three and three. And then they come back six days later, they play in the Davis Cup. And for him to have he, he kind of pulled the Djokovic on Djokovic to come out of that four or five love 40 triple match point down in the Davis Cup semifinal and beat Djokovic again. Uh, you know, maybe that was that, that, that match. One day he might look back on it as one of the most critical of his career because it, uh, otherwise Djokovic closes the year beating him two out of three times and nobody's thinking much about that Ron Robert match. But instead, Sinner pulls off a, a highly improbable win from triple match point down on his serve. So I think all of those ex exploits set the stage. And now, yes, in the back of my mind, I always thought he would be, that this was going to be an Alcaraz Sinner era emerging and that he would be right in there with him. And I always thought head to head. And I think Carlos did too, that he he's fine against Carlos. They're, they're going to go back and forth. That's going to be a riveting rivalry. 
But now, obviously, with his success against Novak, that'll also be interesting just to see how Djokovic responds to him. Because I think I think Djokovic was really uh, deeply disconcerted with his performance those first two sets. And I think he knew that he kind of won the third set on willpower, played better, served better, backed up his serve, but it was still not the essential Djokovic. And I don't really think he went into the fourth without much confidence, despite bailing himself out from match point down to the third. So I think that was so different from his other two losses to Sinner because the round-robin loss in, uh, in, in turn was tiebreaker in the third. So you had a tiebreaker in the third that he lost to him, a 7-5 in the third, where Novak had triple match points. So he came away from those a bit frustrated by losing, but knowing he was right in there. This one, he knew he got beaten pretty soundly despite salvaging a set. So that's going to also be interesting to see where that rivalry goes. But yes, to get back to your original point, I think that Sinner and Alcaraz, if you want me to look long-term, I see them both going double digits on, uh, on Grand Slam titles. How deep into the double digits, we can't know because uh-huh. who's to say who's going to come along five years from now? But they're going to do so much over the next five, seven, eight, ten years that I can't imagine they're not both going to be in double digits. Carlos has two right now. Yannick has one. They're going to keep collecting them regularly. And, and they're going to have to often go through each other, particularly after Djokovic retires in a few years, whenever that time is. But they'll have to go through each other frequently. And it will ne- And I, I don't see either one. I can't envision either one dominating the other. I think they're going to keep pushing each other to the hilt and their matches are going to be very close. And I think people would be making a mistake, Gil, to to assume that because Carlos has been in this slump for him over the last well, since winning Wimbledon last year, no titles. But, you know, in that span, the, the epic with Novak in Cincinnati, match point there, semis of the Open, finals of the year-end championship, quarters here. It hasn't been a disastrous, just been a frustrating stretch for him. And he will be back at the top of his game soon enough. And he will also, just like Djokovic, will be reeling a bit and eager to get back at center, not in a vengeful way, but in just professional pride. So will Carlos. Carlos would be, hey, everybody's forgetting about me. I won I won the U.S. Open two years ago. I won Wimbledon last year. I've got the two biggest titles in tennis in my collection. I still have one more major than uh, Sinner does, so don't forget about me. So I just feel like long-term, they're both going to have stupendous careers, and there may not be much to separate them in the end. I mean, it yeah. wouldn't shock me if it ended up something like 14-12 or 15-13 or Whatever it were, whatever the ceiling is for both of them, but very, very close. They're both outstanding on all surfaces. They're great competitors, and and with the but the advantage for Sinner, I how do you feel about this guy? My feeling is he is the one that's a sort of a more disciplined percentage player who doesn't complicate things. Who just you know he knows exactly what he wants to do going out there. He doesn't give too much away he doesn't try to be too flashy but he he has he's learned to play the game on a, on a highly uh, efficient level and then you have Carlos who to me is more of a shot maker and more of an artist and over time I think he may start learning to settle more for less fancy solutions uh, and settle for the the solid rather than the spectacular but he's too good to, he's just too good not to get there and and I, I think he will sort through all that and he will get better and better as well. And he will also obey the percentages more in, in my view. So I just feel like they're both heading for some golden territory. 
I agree on all fronts. I love the prediction that they're both going to be double digit majors. I I see them in a in a similar light. I I also think that it would be uh, the answer to the question that I asked you originally, are they in the same category? I also would say yes. And not only are they in the same category, that category is a generational talent, multiple major winner category, a very special one. And uh, yeah, they they do contrast in in personality on the court in that way. I I sinner sinner's decisions are are very sound. He it's it's very very difficult to find like certain holes right now in his overall game. Very hard, and that reminds me a lot of Novak. But Alcaraz, I think, does have a level of spectacular athleticism and spectacular shot making that Sinner maybe is a little bit 5% lower on. That doesn't mean that Sinner can't win more. And in fact, right now, it might make Sinner the more formidable of the two. Uh, Certainly in the last six months or so, that's been the case. So I think we're seeing things the same way on this. Well, I, I, we are, we are, and I, you know what, Gil, I think it's it's great for the game, and and they have this mutual respect. They're similar, by the way. I mean, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer always had great respect for each other, and and the but these two are coming up. They're just separated by a couple of years. They both have so much to look forward to over the next decade and beyond, and they both know how good the other one is. They, neither one is going to underestimate the other. It's a good point you're making about, yeah, I totally agree that when Carlos is having his, at his zenith and everything, everything is clicking and all of his shots are coming off and he's thinking clearly, uh, you know, maybe you could argue, okay, the very best of Carlos can beat the very best of Sinner. You put them both, but, can how many how many times can Carlos reach that level and his level can dip more than Yannick's and that's what makes it also fascinating. How often can Alcaraz peak when he plays center head to head in critical matches in the semis and finals of, of majors? Yeah. Okay. Let's hit Medvedev and then we're going to go to part two. Um, the the real question for Daniil, I admire the run that he had so much and we've already discussed it in certain ways about how, you know, the physicality was impressive. The fact that he he didn't completely collapse physically in much less the final, even the semifinal, uh, I think it was a really yeah. impressive physical effort, uh, but also the tactical and technical tennis that he displayed. We saw some stuff, Steve, that we've never seen. I think you and I have talked about the return position and we have agreed, not that the deep return position is bad by any means, but sometimes he's going to go up against opponents who know how to take advantage of it. A lot of them are his chief rivals who have the skills to take advantage of it. And when he gets into that situation, he needs another option. Well, we saw him incorporate that option. The second serve return where his default has been just to start the rally. We saw him attack it sometimes. These are exciting things for me to see from him. And I think the big question is, can he now incorporate that? Not as his A game or his the way he always plays, but just as an option moving forward. Absolutely. And in addition to that, Gil, can he incorporate that bigger hitting style from the backcourt that was so brilliant 
brilliantly effective in the first two sets, especially against Sinner, to maybe get through some of these other matches more. Imagine if he could play like more like that against guys that he knows he could beat almost blindfolded, and suddenly he's beating them three, three, and three instead of going four sets or five sets. There's that to look. There's that to examine as well. But yes, didn't you find it fascinating though that he would do this long interview with Jim Courier on the court? Did you see that one, by the way? I did. Yeah, and here he is. Jim's got him back there, literally on the court, talking about why he stands 16 feet behind the baseline, why he started to do it, why he's continued to do it, not giving away what he knew he was going to try against Herkosh is when he really started to do the things that you just described, moving in much closer, especially for second serve returns. And he was very amusing about that because he said he obviously didn't want to give it away. Nobody could blame him for that. But I hope that he's learned from all this. He seems so stubborn until now. You and I have talked about this in prior uh, discussions that we've had after majors about why he was so obstinate. And it's, now he, he, his eyes are open. So I think I'm, I'm fascinated to see on both fronts. Number one, does it, will he keep doing that on the return and keep guys guessing more and make it harder for them to hold, give himself chances to be more aggressive and even to be lucky? even to be lucky because he stood in pretty far to make that second serve return against uh, to make that return against Zarev at five all in the four set time. He's two points from losing that match and he got lucky. The chip forehand return went kind of crawled over the net, but still you're not going to make that play if you're further back, you know, by being in like that, he gave himself a chance. And I, I just feel like he should have learned a lot of lessons from this tournament. A lot of positive things came out of this tournament in, in, in terms of what he was able to see that he can do that he had not explored before, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable how, how comfortably, because he claimed in the Courier interview that it, it was like he and others thought that maybe he just said he just didn't feel like he could do well from returning closer to the baseline. He just didn't, he didn't feel he could execute it, didn't feel he could pull well. He found out against Herkosh, Zarev, and, and uh, Sinner. At, at various stages of all those matches that yes, he could. Yes, he could. And, and it, it's, and, and it'll be important for him to continue to mix things up in terms of that positioning from here on in, in his career. Yeah. And I think he must've put in some work on it in the off season. And he, he didn't specifically say he did. He said more vaguely that he worked on some of this stuff in the off season. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that means that he did take some repetitions up there and tried to get comfortable. Like one of the things that he was able to do is if he had the wrong grip, he would just chip it. And I don't know yeah. if he had that in the past. I think he felt like he needed to drive it. Uh, but it was, it was so good. And, and you mentioned the surprise against Hercotch. Well, Hubie was shell-shocked and got broken right away in that match. Yeah, he so did. Sinner, he did. Sinner wasn't the only guy this tournament who had been like, completely blown away from Medvedev because he played a completely different style out of the gates. Yeah. No, Amazing. he's got, he's got a very agile mind, a very, uh, he's a deep thinker in his way. I give him all the credit. What I worry about is that now we're looking at six major finals. Okay. You can say that nobody needs to be ashamed of losing two major finals to Rafa Nadal and two to Novak Djokovic, nor ashamed of losing to a surging Yannick Sinner. But the bottom line is that record, okay, he's improved his five-set record tremendously now. So maybe he can do it here. But but I still think the matchup against Carlos is always going to be difficult for him. 
And Novak, as long as he's in the game, it's uh, yes, he's played. He may be more comfortable playing Novak than he is playing Carlos, but he knows what he knows what a battle he's in for there. And then, and then you have Sinner now, who's who's won four in a row against Daniel. And uh, granted, a lot of those matches, I mean, there were there was a two tiebreaker match last fall, a couple of three setters, including the one in Turin, and now now this five setter. It's not like he's been destroyed by him, but Sinner is getting better and better. So I do worry about Medvedev from that standpoint, dealing with two younger players and one older one in Djokovic that have have plagued him in the past. And what's he going to do to get through them? And then you have somebody like Holger Runa as well. So as, as great as Medvedev is, and uh, while I would still bet that he wins at least one more major somewhere along the line, I don't think it's going to be easy at all. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, I... I tend to think that in terms of the scar tissue mentally, Australia could be hard because of all of these experiences that he's had. Uh, again, somewhat to no fault of his own, but I I felt it after he lost the third set. I thought this is a little bit of a rough position now mentally just with that memory. I think once you, you know, if he's at Wimbledon, if he's at the U.S. Open, which he's won in the past— I don't think that creeps into his mind at all. And I don't think the finals will perturb him all that much, his overall record in finals. But I do worry Rod Laver Arena, especially because already he says, eh, the balls, the conditions, they're not really my favorite. Yeah. I I don't know that, let me put it this way, I'm much more confident in him winning another US Open than I would be winning one Australian right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree with no, that. Much, I agree, maybe I, not much. I, I don't know about much. I, I would say I would amend that. I'd say I'm a little more confident that he'd win another U.S. Open. Yeah, I, right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you. And obviously that's the scene of his greatest triumph when he denied Novak Djokovic the Grand Slam in 2021 and beat him in a straight set final. So that's his one big major triumph. And you're returning to that scene. It's always nice. But no, I worry more about the players he's going to be meeting in those finals more than the idea that can I win another major? I see. Can, can I beat Novak again when it counts? Can I beat Carlos? I know he beat him in the semis of the Open, but it's very different playing a final. And and then Sinner, who, again, it just keeps improving. And Carlos is going to, he's going to make some strides again, too. So in that sense, it, it, that, that's what makes it so tricky for Medvedev. On the other hand, he, uh, he, uh, you don't get to that many finals with, without playing a lot, a lot of great tennis and beating a lot of very good players. And, and, and then we have the possibilities that exist because of the, of the revamping of his game and the changing of his style and proving at long last that he can add these other elements and play differently and beat guys differently. That's the key for me because I, I was right there with you and I actually made a claim, I think it was last year, I said, I don't think Medvedev's going to get to number one again in his career. He got to he got to world number one in February 2022. The different, I do think there's a difference this time, Gil. I will say this. I honestly thought that that ruined his year because you're up two sets against Rafa. Rafa's been gone virtually the whole second half of the previous year. And he's got him down two sets. And he thought when he made the big comeback in the second set that, he would. He was in a commanding position. Then he has three-two, love forty in the third to get the break and maybe run the match out. And he ends up losing 
seven, five in the fifth. It was the most bruising setback of his career. Yeah. This one, I think he'll be, he'll look at differently because he knows what he went through just to get there. The, the path to the final was so different and he'll know that he, I just don't think he'll be as hard on himself as he was for the one with Rafa. And in that, in that sense, I think he can come away from this and, and I expect him to have a better year this year than he did in 22. 24 I hope, I mean, he should be yeah. proud. He should be really, really proud of the run he had. It was one of the more positive runner-up runs that I can remember. But I, oh, what? In direct, in direct response to like how he plays his rivals in terms of what do you do against Novak? What do you do against Carlos? I think some of the stuff he did is a is a game changer because they had things to go to. Like you think about the second set against Novak, for example, at the U.S. in the U.S. Open final when Medvedev was getting the better of the play from the baseline and was wearing Novak down physically. But then Djokovic could say, okay, well, I'm going to still be able to hold my serve, and I think he gets to a tie break there. I'm going to be able to hold my serve just because I can serve in volley. It doesn't matter if you're wearing down my legs. You're returning from back there. I'm just going to serve in volley. I can do it, yeah. and bang. So I, my, I think the hope for Medvedev is that he has – made progress in that in that area where he won't be exposed to that anymore that'll be interesting i mean uh, in the case of djokovic for instance i think i could see him sizing it up when they were playing and if he sees daniel standing in you know i then he he's a very flexible server that way he takes note of those things what will he uh, will he adjust he wouldn't serve in volley as much but i think you know maybe uh, going to hit more big t serves in the deuce court there's different ways that he can operate so they'll, everybody's going to have to adjust if he continues to to uh, uh, try these, make these different moves. And you're right, that maybe gives him a better chance, but they're all great players who've known, you know, I mean, it would obviously Novak with his 24 majors and Carlos with his, his limitless future and Sinner with his glowing future as well. And those two guys getting, you know, improving by leaps and bounds. So Daniel will he'll have to keep sorting through all this strategically and, and seeing what he can pull off. And it, it'll be fun to watch. 100%. Let's go to part two and we'll pick it up with Novak Djokovic. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. 